0: Take out your Bibles, please, and if you need a Bible, raise your hand in the air, and we'll get one to you, and turn to 3 John. 3 John. We've been studying through First and Second, and now 3 John is where we're going to be uh, today. We're going to finish up our series looking at John's letters by uh, looking at 3 John today. And as you guys are turning there, I just wanted to mention to you, Christina and I, we've, uh, we've been enjoying each other the last couple days, had a little celebration here and there, but Today, actually, is our 18th wedding anniversary, yeah, 18 years, so starts, uh, it starts feeling like a real number, you know, when you get to around there, like, wow, okay, that's a, that's a decent chunk of time, and, and we're so thankful to God for each other, we're so thankful for the gift of marriage that he brought us together, we were just uh, thinking this last weekend, just talking about marriage and our relationship together, and we were just rejoicing that God brought our paths uh, together. It just really feels like a miracle looking back that he put us together and we're so glad to serve Jesus together and, and uh, serve our family together and serve each other. So uh, I'm just kind of rejoicing today, but we've gotten to celebrate the last couple days. This is not our celebration, hanging out with you guys. I mean, it's cool and everything, but we went out to dinner. So, you know, just wanted to let you guys know that. All right, first, 3rd John is where we're at today. And... Uh, Just to break into this, I'll give you a reminder about John's letters. You know, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, not only are they written by the same person, but they carry a similar tone and theme and may have even been written at the same time historically. And in the first letter that John wrote, it's very different from a typical Greek letter. No greeting, no even real conclusion. It's more of an essay, a letter, a uh, argument that he wants to give to the local churches that he was serving. And as I've told you time and time again over the last couple of months, the content of 1 John was a test for the legitimacy of the Christianity of the church in that era. Do they believe in the legitimate biblical orthodox Jesus? Uh, Do they love each other, you know, know each other, care for each other, minister to each other's needs, and are they living in obedience to God and his word? And those were the big three things that John held out to the local churches that were in the sphere that he was ministering to, and he expected 1 John, that first letter, to be a circular that would just sort of move through that region, move through that area, And part of the reason that he wrote it is because there were false teachers who had departed from the church, who had used to be part of the church, who were now teaching a different thing about Jesus, denying his incarnation, perhaps, or mixing something up about Jesus. And so John set out in 2 John to give directions to one of those churches. Last week we looked at 2 John, he called the church that he wrote to the elect lady. So one specific church amongst all those churches and he wanted to tell them to continue to believe in Jesus, to love each other, and to obey God. But specifically, he wanted to give them directions on how to treat those false teachers when they came to their town. He says, don't give them a greeting. Don't let them have entrance into your home. Don't do anything to prosper their message and send them on their way preaching a false gospel. So in, in one sense, 2 John was written not to the whole group, but to one of the churches giving directions on how to treat the false teachers. Now, today, we come to 3 John. Third John is not written to the whole group. It is not written to one particular church, but it's written to one particular man inside of that region of churches. And this man, as we'll discover in this letter, was named Gaius. And the reason that John wrote to him is because Gaius was a good Christian man who was a financier of many of the missionaries that John had sent into that region. His money had helped support the work of expanding the gospel in that territory. And John wanted Gaius to know, what you're doing is good, keep doing what you're doing, and if there are obstacles, even in the form of people getting in the way, keep on pushing past those obstacles, because I'm sending more missionaries to you. I might even come to you as a missionary, so thank you for the work uh, that you are doing, and continue to support uh, these missionaries. So what we're going to do today is really simple. It's a small letter. It's very brief. It's one of two, by the way, it's one of two personal letters in the New Testament, the other one being the book of Philemon that Paul wrote to a man named Philemon. I know there's a couple of other letters that we might think are personal like 1st and 2nd Timothy or Titus, but Paul knew when he wrote those letters that though he was writing to those men, he was giving instructions to the whole church on how to operate. Philemon, Paul encouraged to forgive. The book of 3rd John, John encouraged towards generosity, towards missionaries that exist in the world. So what we're going to do is we're going to briefly read 3 John. I'm going to read through it and explain it to you as we go, just giving some brief remarks. I've then got a handful of concluding remarks. And then what I'm going to do is invite Pastor Jeff and our outreach director, Ann Jensen, to come up on the platform. And they're going to give you an excellent yet rapid-fire presentation about 25 plus missionaries and outreaches that we as a church financially supported in 2019 so that you can know about them and then be praying for them uh, in the future. Why would I want to do this today? Partly because of 3 John and the content matter that's in front of us, but partly because of the whole mission of gospel ministers in the first place. Paul said in Colossians chapter one, my aim is to present every person mature or complete in Christ Jesus. And when we don't have a mission's heart or desire, we don't have the mindset, or the mentality of Jesus. In other words, if we want to be mature as Christians, we have to believe in, be rooting for, praying for, desiring to see the gospel expand to the ends of the earth and that and that we should know that it's gonna take people in order to get that done. So my hope and prayer through the presentation today is that we would become a little bit more like Jesus. That's always the goal whenever we get together, a little bit more like Jesus. So hopefully as you hear about all these missionaries, that gospel, Christ-centered heart will grow grow within you. So I'm going to take about 10 minutes now to go through this material, and if you're like, man, that's too short, I feel gypped, you know, you should go a little bit longer, come out on Tuesday night. I'm going to teach Genesis chapter 1, and it's going to be way long, okay? (laughs) So just a warning for you there. All right, 3 John verse 1. He says, the elder, that's his title for himself, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So, John is praying for this man, Gaius. And he's praying for his whole man. It's just an aside. He's praying for his soul, but that he be in good health as well. For, verse 3 I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So apparently what happened was John, wherever he'd written this letter from, and it's possible that he'd written it from Ephesus, but when he had sent out missionaries, he calls them brothers. It's actually a Greek word that could include sisters as well. They returned to him after they finished their circuit of ministry and when they returned they brought a certain report and one of the things that they shared with John was that there was this man named Gaius who was walking in the truth and so John rejoices over this man and now writes him this letter. In verse 5 he goes on and says, beloved it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. In other words, I know that you don't know these people personally, Gaius. You didn't know them before I sent them to you, but you were faithful to them. Who, verse six, testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. What John is recounting there is that when these missionaries came back to the sending church, they stood in front of the congregation and they gave a report. And one of the things they said was, we went to a certain town in a certain place, and there was a man named Gaius there who was so generous with us. He opened up his home to us. He helped to support us in that region. And part of the reason why the support was important is because John says, When they went out, they didn't receive any financial compensation from the Gentiles. What does that mean? What that means is they were going to try to evangelize the nations. And the nations were not going to pay for that evangelization to take place. So somebody needed to send them. And and Gaius was part of that sending group. So John goes on in verse 9 and he says, I have written something to the church. Now, it's possible that when he says that, what he's alluding to is 1 John. He had written something to the church. He expected 1 John to kind of have legs and cruise throughout that whole region and for the church to be thinking about reading the book of 1 John. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. Man, John is just calling this guy out in this letter. There's a man named Diotrephes. He likes to put himself first. Right? This is not a compliment that John is giving to him. All right. Maybe you know somebody like Diotrephes. Like, yeah, they just always like to be the big deal. They always put themselves first. He says, he does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, verse 11, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Here in this section, what John is doing is he's saying, look, there's a barrier to the proclamation of the gospel in this region, and it has a name, Diotrephes. He's getting in the way of the support of these missionaries. He's getting in the way of the truth, not letting 1 John run in that region. And he was also denying that John even had authority as an apostle in the first place. And John, in reflection upon Diotrephes, says, look, there are evil people out there. Don't imitate them. But there are good people out there. Imitate Them And and in a sense, what he's saying is, Gaius is one of those good people that the church is to imitate. We should reject a man like Diotrephes who gets in the way of the gospel. But in thinking of a negative example, John wants to give a positive example. That's why in verse 12, he talks about another character. He says, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. Also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Here what John is doing is he's alluding to one of the missionaries he really likes, a man named Demetrius. He says Demetrius has some things going for him. First of all, his life is in line with the truth. Secondly, he says you all bear witness to his fruitfulness, and thirdly, John says, and I bear witness myself. So really that biblical threefold witness thing Demetrius had going for him as a missionary. In other words, he was a man worthy of Gaius's financial support. Then John closes the letter in verse 13 in a similar way to his closing of 2 John, when he says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. Now, in thinking about this letter, why did it make its way into the canon? Like I said, it's a personal letter. When Paul wrote to Philemon, it found its way into the canon because the early church began to discover the authority in it and giving us an example for interpersonal conflict and how we need to forgive one another. Right, so you can turn to the book of Philemon and receive encouragement about forgiveness all day long. Ever had interpersonal conflict with somebody else? The book of Philemon is helpful to you. The book of third John was also personal. Why did it make its way into the canon? Because the early church recognized that there was an authority in it concerning directions on how or who we should support financially in the work of preaching the gospel throughout uh, the world he doesn't tell them the minute details set up a missions board you know do this each month you know anything like that he leaves the details to each generation of the church to figure out for their own time and space but the general message is get behind these gospel preachers as they go throughout the world and one of the reasons that we would do this is found in verse seven and eight would you look at those verses again with me in your bible one reason that we would want to support missionaries throughout the world is because, verse 7, they are, when, when they are faithful to the name of Jesus. You know, if they're believing in the real Jesus, preaching the true gospel, then they are worthy of support. But he gives another reason also in verse 7. He says that those missionaries, just like modern missionaries, are not supported by the people who are their target audience. In other words, if you're trying to evangelize the nations, you can't expect the nations to fund you in the process. So somebody needs to be the sender. But there's a third really cool reason why we as a local church should engage in missions work. It's found in verse eight. He says there that we should receive people uh, like these who, so that we may become fellow workers for the truth. This is cool. What Paul is saying to Gaius is, When they're out there preaching the gospel on your dime, you have become a fellow worker with them. Now, Gaius would have thought, that is so cool. Because to him, these gospel preachers were like the special forces of God's army. And he looked up to them and thought, they're amazing that they're doing this work. And for John to say, you could be a co-laborer with them, would have blown him away. And that's one of the motivations we have as well as we want to support missions work is that we want to be co-workers, co-laborers for the gospel. So before I hand it over, let's think about this. What are some ways that like Gaius, we can also be in support of legitimate gospel workers throughout the world? Well, one way that he's alluding to in the letter is through generosity, right? Through financial support. Sometimes that comes in the form of actual money. Sometimes that comes in the form of housing, lodging, different things like that, but that basically help the bottom line of those that are going out uh, into the world. Another way that the church would have embraced in that era that we can embrace ourselves is through hospitality. You know, for them, it would have meant the opening up of their homes when missionaries came through town Uh, We can do that when missionaries are on furlough and resting. We can open up our homes. But I think it also means reaching out with words of encouragement and support and blessing and saying, I'm thinking about you. I was praying for you today. You're on my radar because a lot of times when you're out there doing that gospel work, you feel very alone. So I think hospitality can extend beyond our homes. Another way that we can support gospel workers, listen to this, is through Prayer. You guys, prayer is one of the coolest things that God has given to us as his people. You might be landlocked here in Monterey, you know, living in this little community and feel like, man, I'm not gonna get to go to Africa. I'm not gonna get to go to these exotic places. I'm not gonna get to go to closed countries and preach the gospel. And I wouldn't say that so quickly, by the way, but you can pray. And in prayer, you can go into places that you might not be able to physically go but that God is going as you lift up these missionaries throughout the world. And that's part of the reason we wanted to do this for you today is so that you could have your prayer list be fuller uh, than before. And here's another way that you can support gospel preaching missionaries. You can also, some of you, go with them. Sometimes we think like missionaries are these special people that like grow in like a test tube somewhere and then they come full grown and like, there's a missionary. You know where missionaries grow up? In church. That's where a lot of them grow up. They grow up in church, or they get saved, and they become part of a local congregation. And even today, you're going to hear just from time to time as an aside, like, oh, yeah, and this person, they studied locally here. They were part of our church, and the Lord put something on their heart, and that now they're out in the mission field. This is how God works and how God moves. So don't think that the Lord might won't call you. He's definitely calling you, but he might even call you into uh, the mission field.